Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydock, am stuck in a cottage at night time with only the ingredients for a Molotov cocktail and a Doctor Who podcast that is positive in intent, in which I try to see if I can identify my special guests' favourite things about their Doctor Who story of choice. Hello, Toby Haydock. Uh, my name's Chris Chapman, and I what do I do? I make documentaries for the Doctor Who range for the Blu-ray collections at the moment and the DVDs before that. Uh, I'm recording for you some things about a Doctor Who story called The Seeds of Doom. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to part five of The Seeds of Doom, which has been chosen, as you heard, by Chris Chapman, who has made and continues to make uh, fantastic DVD and Blu-ray extras. Uh, some would say too many of which feature me. Uh, and uh, he's still going strong. He's making a load at the moment. None of which actually feature me. Although there are, as I record this, a couple in the can that haven't been properly announced. He's hinted at them. Um, but anyway, uh, he took some time out in between shooting on his excellent the high-definition cameras that he uses, uh, you know, the production quality of the stuff that he does is really, really good. It it does look fantastic, the stuff that he puts together. Um, he's chosen The Seeds of Doom, which I think was done for the DVD range just before Chris entered the fray. So I wonder if he's making up for a, a gap in his uh, oeuvre uh, by contributing a little film that he's done of him talking to camera if you're listening to the audio version of this, uh, you, you just have to imagine his cheerful, bearded, teddy bear face uh, getting all excited about the Seeds of Doom. So let's see what he's going to say at the end about episode five. But before we do that, I have to watch it. And I have to watch it from the beginning, which I'm going to do right about now in three, two, one. There we go. So, uh, welcome to uh, episode five. Uh, if you have an Alexa, I would cover her ears right now, because hang on. Alexa, volume four. Uh, so, I'm sorry if I interfered with your Alexa there, if she was uh, uh, listening to my voice on the side. Um, so, anyway, it's episode five of The Seeds of Doom. Now, if I had people, you see... Uh, I would have uh, had all that lined up beforehand, but we're going now anyway. So uh, it's the end of Dunbar from uh, the the previous episode. Um, this this videotape looks it's nicely uh, atmospheric here at night time. Uh, the disadvantage you have from videotape is one you get the uh, the the sort of tram lines. Um, there's a name for it um, uh, that I can't remember now. It doesn't matter. You can look that up. Um, uh, and don't write in, I'll remember it by, by the time I've finished, um, or, or just after I finish, knowing my luck. Um, uh, and it, it's, it's where gunshots interfere with the videotape and make those lines, uh, run along the picture, which wouldn't have happened with film. Uh, but I don't think, I think this actually looks pretty good. Some excellent OB lighting, um, very nicely shot. The nighttime helps. It's really, yeah, it's really good. Apart from that kink in that costume. Uh, some machine gun fire and some more of the tram lines. Um, but the, that monster moves okay. I was quite surprised to see it 
Of course, that size, because it's that size on the on the book cover, but it's the size of a house. Um, uh, but this is really dramatic and fantastic stuff, and suddenly you have this great, um, you know, part of the story where suddenly Scorby and, and the Doctor and Sarah suddenly have to be allies, and that makes for a great atmospheric um, sort of tense feeling within uh, within now this cottage that they're trapped in um uh so suddenly things step up a gear because the the monster's just grown but also you know that you're you're stuck inside with somebody that a couple of episodes ago was trying to kill you uh and i re so i really like the sort of tension in this relationship that they have here i love all of this stuff in the cottage tom baker's sort of brooding sort of cussed presence and he but he also has that thing where he doesn't quite have time for bully boys like scorby or lunatics like chase and i love the way that that, that, that baker's doctor has that that sort of universal aloofness about him humans are people are replaceable the crinoid is unique that's a great line it's eight foot high and it's already killed dunbar I love all of this, and and and, and great the way that that Tom the the doctor takes the thing off him, and he, and, he, and 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 that the sort of very um, deadpan way that he does that tries to impart the information, and then the fury that the doctor has, um, I, it's all glorious. I think the tempo uh, and the judgment of Tom Baker's performance in these scenes is magnificent, uh, and Elizabeth Sladen does plays her part as well. By, by keeping it sort of down to earth and human. Uh, you know, that thing that she does brilliantly. Look, she's scared but brave. Uh, nice tentacle. Um, it doesn't quite, this bit doesn't quite work, does it? Because obviously Sarah can't actually hit it with the axe, which which makes a slightly compromise there. But And Tom Baker's handy with a sword. You know, he wields it with a certain certain you know, a, a s sort of practical dirtiness. Now, how do we feel about the voice of the crinoid? Um, I, 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 this doesn't quite match up with everything thing else for me. I, and I don't think it... I mean, we, we of course, we need this uh, to, 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 have, to have this face-off now between the Doctor and Scorby. So I think it's a price worth paying. Um, I like the fact the Doctor doesn't show any fear either because he's like, no, come on, this is an obvious bloody ruse. Um, but of course, it hasn't quite occurred to him that uh, that Scorby might go for it. And he has to go, oh, what? No, no, come on, we haven't got time. Again, he's, he, I've heard that one before. I love the way that he does that. And his mind is racing. He's sort of aloof to this. He hasn't got time for for people to be stupid people. I love it. It works. And and, and, and and the way that Sarah is arguing with Scorby and he has to go in and she is so good. Um, this is brilliant. Um, so although I think the talking crinoid is a, a compromise, it works better as a, you know, sort of a homicidal vegetation. Um, I love Tom Baker's reaction here. Uh, that The way that he decides to play it so fierce. Um, Uh, oh, so good, so good, and, and and the fact that he then stumbles across the bomb, and then the absolute 
child in me goes, oh, I like the fact that we get villains who can make a firebomb. Uh, and and the, <laughs> the doctor slightly patronises him as well. Come on. Um, but but the fact, I don't doubt for a second that John Chalice, who again was 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 actually a bit of a turn, he was a bit of a, uh, you know, as as I said in previous episodes, he fancied himself as a as a light comedian. He's abs- I absolutely buy that that guy can make a Molotov cocktail, and I don't I didn't really know what a Molotov cocktail was, but I remember I think my brother being quite impressed with that, uh, and then I I read later it was one of the things that was that Mary Whitehouse wasn't it. Or, some, or was it Gene Rook? Somebody objected to the making of Molotov cocktails, which was, of course means as a teenage boy, I'm all over it. Going, and do you know what? I still don't know how to make a Molotov cocktail. I could sort of guess. I'd probably burn my arm. Um, but but it hasn't made me adept at firebomb making. But I love the visceral thrill that that thuggishness gives uh, as as a as a sort of you know violent undertone to this very tense uh, action. Um, and this is very, very much to my taste. And then you've got this lovely stuff where you've got the governor from Porridge, who is Sir Colin Thackeray, uh, Michael Barrington here. Uh, uh, and, and I mean, Amelia Ducart, whose usefulness to the story has, has already uh, been sort of stretched too far. She certainly doesn't need to be in this episode, but it's funny. Operation Nut, <laughs> armed an ACAC, manned an ACAC gun at Folkestone. And, and brilliant stuff about the civil servants, and I, I am one of them. Uh, she's got a great costume too, <laughs> and she's one of Doctor Who's few smokers. Uh, God bless her. <laughs> Proper British eccentric. We love it. And now, yeah, he gets her out. So I mean, yeah, none of none of this was in the the book, but it's all gorgeous stuff. And you know, it's still got that slight atmosphere of you know, this is after hours, this is night time. Uh, uh, and, and although it has a comic seem to it, you know, when when he shuts the door on her, he's you know, it's like he's he's going to mean business, and and he does a good job, Michael Barrington, of of you know, he 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 plays the comic stuff as necessary, but then he's uh, this is deadly serious stuff. Uh, Chase now has a slightly darker suit on, which I rather like. It suits him; those colours, very nice. And that's he's got a mean line in ties, hasn't he? <laughs> um. He's got a beautiful intensity, hasn't he? Oh, and now it's uh, so it's and it does feel like morning. Um, I wonder how early they filmed, but you you can sort of feel the sort of the the, the light has just broken through and the sort of dew in the air. And I don't know if that's just because it's very well done or if they actually did film it that 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 early. Um, but it feels and it feels like that in in these scenes here. It's great. It's absolutely terrific. And I I think you know people locked in a cottage with a homicidal giant vegetable beast outside very nice doctor but everybody playing it absolutely seriously and this and this fact that it's it's a, it's a really sort of tense marriage of convenience this it's wonderful stuff and and baker obviously has such respect for elizabeth sladen and they carry the drama so nicely and he's so he's got such a sort of waspish waspish intensity about him um, but also, he's really funny. Um, yeah, you can feel the dew in the air there with uh, with uh, Harrison Chase out with his taking his photo, <laughs> lunatic madly taking his photos of the giant plant beast. So here we have the Molotov cocktail. 
Oh, which is a nifty little effect, very quick, not on screen for long. And this is uh, this actually the 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 CSO of the of the crinoid is not bad. It's not bad. I mean, considering uh, some of the CSO in Terror of the Zygons, you know, this this serial's bedfellow, um, Pat Gorman alert. Um, I, I I think you know the, the, there are very few compromised effects in in this show. In fact, the, the effects in this show are. Uh, uh, are, are very strong. I mean, you you know, the trained eye can see that there's a bit of CSO going on there, but I I, I think it sells it. I think it sells it fine. Um, and uh, and and the bit with it, you know, with the cottage and everything else going on, I thought was very well done. Um, ah, yeah. So this is I I hope it's I think about this because this is this is very much to my taste. And I'm I'm aware why why people may have ob objections to some of the stuff that goes on here, um, but I suppose because this was always a Doctor Who story, it doesn't seem quite as anomalous as it might. Uh, you know, this was this was just part of the great big canvas of Doctor Who when I when I you know discovered it all at once. Well, I mean, I probably discovered this quite early because it was it was one of the books that we had, and it's quite a slim volume. Uh, and he's so good, isn't he? That that that. I've I've read, I've I've read people have have sort of read slightly more into this, um, and and wanted to be, I would say, a little bit too grown up with the dynamic that they infer from what's happened between Scorby and Sarah, and um, that yeah, I mean, people can read what what they like into. Um, Doctor Who, that's part of the fun. We all reacted to it in our own ways, but I think if, if, if you're desperate to see a sexual assault perpetrated by Scorby on Sarah as part of your reading of this text, that, but that's all really good, but that, that I think takes the the attempts to be grown up that this does. This this is grown up, but very much in the confines of a, you know, tea time drama. It pushes it as far to the edge as it can go, but I, I, I don't think it goes into those realms but if uh, you know as i say i i know some people who like who, I, I wouldn't say they like to read it into that but i've i've never read that into it um you know he's just going pick up where we left off before i.e when i tied you to a bomb and left you to get blown to bits or eaten by a plant beast um uh and, and I, I i think that's yeah it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit like when i was first allowed to swear in an english essay by my forward thinking uh uh, English teacher, not essay, story uh, and I threw loads of swear words in and he said, you know, just because I said you could I think you've done it a little bit too much and uh, I think sometimes we sort of say sometimes I think when we say Doc 2 is a programme about um, wonderful niceness and liberalism I, I see it all the time online now, people are missing the message of Doc 2 the message of Doc 2 is largely, here's something entertaining about a benign alien who, who tells jokes while he blows up monsters, uh, he or she blows up monsters, and yes I very much uh, read the liberal take of Doc 2 but there's also an illiberal take you could take he finds the things that are bad and he kills them um, Or, or now that's Keith Ashley that, uh, as the secretary, uh, is is one of the two guys inside the crinoid who is also a, uh, a Zygon, but he gets no credit. Um, but uh, it gets, gets a nice little bit. Anyway, look, we can talk about multi-readings of Doc 2 uh, elsewhere because there's so much good going on here. He's busy, brilliant, all this waffle, waffle, waffle. The righteous fury of the fourth Doctor is rather wonderful. Um, 
Uh, I suppose they could have had the Brigadier in this had Nick, Nicholas Courtney been around, but uh, instead John Aitchison comes in as uh, as a, a, a one-off. Um, Major Beresford. But uh, I, I, um, Philip Hinchcliffe liked possession, didn't he, very much? So we've just seen uh, uh, Harrison Chase uh, about to get possessed by the crinoid, which, again, I'm not quite sure the story needs because he was already bonkers. Uh, but this is a this is a lovely scene. Um, the fact that these these two guys sort of embrace the silliness of it, going you know, uh, you know, psychopathic rhubarb, rhubarb or whatever, but then you have these actually actual examples. Uh, somebody strangled in a garden maze, murderous kale, um, and then suddenly you're going, oh, hang on, we've got we've got a murderous vegetable, and these two guys have been joking seconds ago, and now they switch it completely, and the doctor's got that. Ghost, he, he always has that slight ghost of amusement, doesn't he, about the terrible things that are happening because he has to. He has to laugh in the face of danger almost. Um, uh, she's so natural on the phone. Look, look their, their love for each other sort of transmits even when they're both in separate parts of the studio. I don't even know if that this would have been done at the same time. I doubt it. Um, and yet I totally buy it. And that's a nice little nifty effect, cutting the wires, because, yes, because homicidal gooseberries and whatever, she does that phone talking, acting so naturally, so good. Um, the stakes have just got higher. Not only have we got a walking vegetable beast, uh-oh, suddenly all the plants have become homicidal. Oh, this is what we want from episode five. Not more of the same. We're building up to a, a, a climax and the stakes have just got higher. Not only uh, are, the, are the plants now all bad, but also Chase is now a sort of vessel of the, the crinoid. And, and this is done very well. I've not remembered this from the book and this isn't a part of the story that ever sort of leaps out to me, um, even though he does it absolutely wonderfully. I, I do feel it slightly undermines Chase as a villain in a way that he was already good enough. He didn't need to be taken over by the plant. But I don't know why that is... It just doesn't chime with me as much as other parts, I think. I mean, as I say, uh, Tony Beckley does it absolutely beautifully and it's wonderfully directed there by by Camfield with the, you know him lying down and the profile on the grass and the crossfade. Uh, Scorb is changed into some sexy villain gear. I like that. He, he, can, he can pull off a, 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 a roll neck sweater. Uh, not everybody can, I have to say. Uh, uh, and and Scorby goes through an absolute transformation, and I I love the fact that he's he's now the sort of this uneasy ally, and and also that he goes, yeah, that's and that's a lovely bit that 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 he he's, he actually doesn't believe that the Doctor has come back, and and Sarah can sort of scold him about that. Uh, and then Sarah gets this brilliant riposte the thing about being people running away being like a bunch of women. She is so good. Oh, she is brilliant, isn't she? Oh, she is, I mean, you know, scold is absolutely the right word, but she's still so totally likeable. And she's not, a, you know, ball breaker. She's not a, there's no attempt to sort of have to make her sort of tough or physically. Her, her toughness is an emotional toughness. You know, she's not a, she's, 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 you know, she's still, she's still the sort of traditional companion figure. Um, but she's, you know, she's brave and she's, 
tough and she oh she's and she's so good uh and he uh, i mean look <laughs> he is so good tony beckley uh and again the i th th this this could be quite difficult to pull off uh and and he does it he does it with a wonderful straightforward intensity and yes that slight sort of camp aloofness doesn't doesn't go from him but you do get that he's he's sort of slightly possessed and and you've got scorby there keep, keeping it all completely down to earth <laughs> that's a great exchange <laughs> He must have been gone for years, if you ask me. Yeah, he was always bonkers. Just because he'd been taken over a plant, it's actually not that much different. And this, I mean, this could be ridiculous. You know, he's a man in the lotus position talking to some flowers. Uh, and yet it's actually really disturbing. As observed by a butler uh, with organ music. And yet it's absolutely straight. Um, it's it's totally believable, yet daft as a brush. I mean, that's that's Doctor at its best for me. It, it, you know, it's 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 not allowing it's the daftness of the whole premise. You know, somebody travels through space and time in a police box that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. But you have to let that speak for itself. You don't play up to that. I mean, there are times and there are stories where it's it's an advantage to do that, but in this in this kind of show, uh, ev ev everybody's you know on song to his, to, to his tune dedicated to Linnaeus, um, and 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 having the butler there really helps as well. It just it just just gives it that slightly eccentric edge, and it's wonderfully shot, beautifully lit. The look on Tony Beckley's face is absolutely extraordinary. Um, yeah, and 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 Scorby's almost becoming the sort of the, the the hero of this this bit. Now it is our turn. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. And uh, this is um, it's terrible because I'm I'm just I just want to watch it because it's it's really good. It's I mean it's yeah it's and yet the central premise of this is that you know all all, all the all the, all the plants are going to start eating. Well, that's a, that's I mean that's a great premise, isn't it? You know what what if the roles? It's a very simple idea. You know what if what what if suddenly plants are the predators and and uh, you know we're the we're the prey that's a, that's a wonderful quick you know switcheroo that's the you, 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 yeti on the loo and tooting beck moment that's the uh, something strange a strange twist on on what we know and it's a, it's a brilliant reversal and isn't it interesting how it's it still retains its atmosphere even though the sun's out this and this is all very good because this is the sum of the stuff that you know, one one could have read in the book, but actually been a bit, bit pony when when uh, when uh, realised in the studio, and it's absolutely not at all. You know what it is? It's sort of stage hands off off stage, shaking plastic foliage, but it absolutely completely works, uh, and it's you know horrifying. The idea of being strangled to death by plants is pretty grim, uh, 
and and the calmness of Chase in the middle of it all is really really unsettling. And you've got the. You, I remember in the book being quite pleased at how, you know, that Hargreaves was still alive at this point, and then go, oh no, he's going to die now, isn't he? Um, and, uh, uh, and actually, I seem to recall the, the, the way that his sort of corpse is left with that sort of slightly limp hand, uh, you know, hanging amongst the foliage is, uh, is, is pretty grim. Um, and of course, this, this makes it, you know, get a bit of weed killer in, but uh, it, it does mean that Chase. Ah, he's got the line, hasn't he? Animal fiends, <laughs> which is glorious. Um, ah, animal fiends. Yeah, I mean that's that takes it about as far as you can go. But I still, I'm still with this all the way. This, this is you know, and I think having, you know, an army soldier looking in proper army gear that all helps. Uh, this was all the stuff of, you know, proper drama, proper adventure stuff. Uh, and poor old Hargreaves is dead. Uh, and Ray Barron here as Sergeant Henderson. Uh, he uh, sadly died a few years ago. I don't know if, did he ever give an interview? He's in Kathy Cummer. Look at the way that Hargreaves' hands are left there among the moving foliage. That's such a great image. Um... I, I, Tom Baker in the Tom Baker years, I think, mistakes Ray Barron here for Jeff Hinsniff, um, from who who is in Nightmare of Eden and Image of the Fendal, because uh, uh, he says, "Oh, isn't that somebody from Coronation Street?" But yeah, he means Jeff Hinsniff. He's got it wrong. Uh, but uh, Ray Barron was in Kathy Come Home and did did various bits and bobs. Um, the Ray is short for Rainer, not Raymond, as most would expect. Now here's. Uh, and the doctor's really horrible to Sergeant Henderson throughout. <laughs> um, my brother, I remember my brother catching this bit and me thinking, this is the seeds of doom. There's nothing wrong with this. He won't have a problem with anything of this. And he says, why are they putting them down flat? Why aren't they just chucking them out? And it's, of course, because they're really expensive prop plants that they can't destroy. But if, in real life, if you were getting rid of these plants, would you sort of place them down? Oh, I was like... Such a thing would never occur to me as somebody watching Doctor Who and going, this is brilliant, all the effects are good, the acting's good, the, the, the atmosphere, the story, everything. And he comes in and goes, oh yeah, why, why, why aren't they throwing the plants away? Why are they putting them down safely? And I, was like, I have nothing to say to that, but why have you noticed that bit of all the bits? Um, so, <laughs> I, but I used to, because I, I used to dream of, as I say, of my... Of my uh, you know, brothers and people sort of coming in while I was watching an undoubted classic like this and go, uh, yeah, actually, Toby, you're right. Doctor is the best thing ever. Shall we do some sort of uh, pilgrimage and watch the whole thing and I'll tell you how brilliant all of Doctor Who is? Uh, it's funny, the crinoid's voice. Um, I'm being surprised back because I think it just said, you know, crinoid voice in any episode guides or whatever, but it's quite long-winded, is it? The crinoid's voice, Richard Conway. Excellent special effects. Excellent OB lighting, Clive Potter. Excellent studio lighting, uh, John Dixon. Brilliant design, Roger Murray Leach. Philip Hinchcliffe, Douglas Camfield, Dream Team. Um, so that is a superb piece of work. I like it an awful lot. Uh, and uh, uh, I think I'm going to find it fairly easy to choose my favourite thing about it because... It has to be the scene in the cottage, the, the face-off between the Doctor and Scorby, the beginning of that 
uneasy alliance that 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 wonderful journey that scorby has from being the bad deed to this you know you know yeah this this uh um uneasy ally but just tom baker's simmering fury that comes beautifully he suggests that it comes from a sort of alien aloofness and that it hasn't got time for all the stupid things that we do that get us killed or, or that or that preoccupy us the petty little squabbles that we have or whatever I, I i like it when the doctor i sort of prefer it actually when the doctor can teach us a thing or two rather than the doctor being learning from i mean it works both ways but um you know, I think it's. I, I sometimes think we, as a species, uh, could do with could do with learning a, a, a thing or two. And I don't always feel that the that the, the cold alien doctor has to learn about wonderful humany things from us. I actually quite like the dynamic where get a grip that you know the universe is such a big place full of wonder and danger and all sorts of amazing concepts to get your head around. Stop being a petty-minded flipping moron uh and tom baker's so good at that that sort of you know that 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 lofty intelligence that alien aloofness that sort of terse dismissal of our sort of stupidity and that's all there um w without ever undermining the sense that the doctor knows that he's in danger you know he, he knows scorby is being you know selfish and petty um and, and not quite seeing the bigger picture but he's not unaware that that also could mean that he's dead uh and uh, I, you know so that, so i think that dynamic and elizabeth sladen being there as well where she argues on the doctor's behalf and the doctor has to interject and uh, scorby going well why don't i do that and baked it and the doctor absolutely sort of tearing him apart with that absolutely intense fury uh, and and the fact that it ends with scorby going shall i make a firebomb like they're doing grown-up things I love it, even though it's got, as I say, the compromise bit, the uh, the the crinoid talking, uh, and it's Mark Jones doing it. So that's actually, and in fact, I haven't touched upon that at all. The fact that the fact that it's Mark Jones means there's a vestige of Keeler, you know, within there, and 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 that goes into Hinchcliffe's love of possession, which you've also then got with Chase being possessed by the crinoid, um, which is, you know. That's quite Quatermass in the Quatermass experiment. You know, the big vegetable beast that takes over uh, Westminster Abbey is very, it's very fundamental to the plot that that still retains the vestiges of humanity of the three astronauts within. And, um, uh, but I, yeah, so I can see, I, which is why the crinoid voice is, is, I suppose, important to why Chase being taken over is important because then it's the sort of, you know, the parody of humanity that that becomes or the subjugation of humanity to vegetable will. <laughs> um, the will of the chlorophyll. Uh, so even though it's it's a it's a, but as I say, part of me just sort of prefers it to be a big murderous vegetable that takes over plants. Uh, but I, it doesn't matter. I'm 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 uh, nitpicking. I love it. I love it. I think it's so good. And there's so much else that's good in that. I love uh, you know Chase sitting cross-legged and doing his you know. Um, eulogy to root stem leaf and flower and you know it's our turn and and then the, the plants all coming alive and attacking everybody i love all of that but even you know the doctor's little bit of uh, exchange of um you know you know plot catch up with sir colin and uh, and and the major is 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 driven by tom baker's urgency shutting that secretary out and the waffle 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 you know it drives the story it drives the story with a with an intense sort of alien 
you know, passion and urgency. He has again, he hasn't got time for red tape and all that sort of thing. Uh, he's so good, Tom Baker. So good. This is one of his best performances. Uh, but yeah, it's the scene in the cottage. It's the scene in the cottage that I just love about episode five. What's Chris Chapman, producer, director, extraordinaire, going to choose? Episode five. Episode five of the Seeds of Doom. Now, uh, I, th- I think, I mean, I love the Seeds of Doom. I'll admit that from probably people talk about it having a, a, a poor ending. I think from episode five onwards, it's slightly losing its way and it's possibly not it's got it's got the lovely structure of the two-parter and the four-parter but the four-parter because they get so quickly to chase his house to the mansion to the villain's lair i think it runs out of steam quicker than it should i don't know if 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 the house should just be the last two episodes and maybe it needs another piece of meat in in episode three and four that's not at the mansion uh so you get this slight sense of them treading water waiting now that you've got a giant crinoid what are we going to do for two episodes to resolve it? And 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 as we know, the, the resolution ultimately maybe isn't as satisfactory as it could be. But what I love is, yeah, what 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 I what I do enjoy about episode five very much is that in order to deal with that problem of how they keep the story going, they create a mini story within the story. And so we've established the cottage in episode four. That's where Keela was was being poorly. Um, and at the end of episode, at the end of episode four, they're being menaced by Keela. And in episode five, they escape from Keela into the cottage at night time. And you get this kind of base under siege story. Proper Troughton, base under siege, uh, where they spend the first half, certainly, of the episode at night time in a cottage with a giant plant outside. And it's kind of almost comically, you know, you have bits of the plant coming in through the windows, uh, but it has this kind of straw dogs, kind of Stan Peckinpah kind of brutality to it, that the doctor's making up uh, Molotov cocktails and, and bunging them out the window. And uh, and you get, you know, and you this is where you really start to see that alliance, that uneasy alliance between the doctor and Sarah and Scorby, uh, you know, where it's really a showcase for that. Uh, so I love that episode within an episode i mean you could argue it's padding it doesn't add anything other than maybe deepening that relationship between those three uh but it's great padding and camfield really kind of gives it an edge and and keeps it very straight and again the studio direction's excellent uh so and i love the the doctor shows the doctor shows the tea time audience how to make a molotov cocktail there you go kids knock yourself out uh so i really really enjoy that and uh, so that would be my favourite thing about episode five is cottage base under siege. Yeah. Yeah. Cottage under siege. I think that was pretty much uh, what I said. So I actually get a point. I'm quite right. I just love that scene. Um, but I, I mean, it's yeah. Wonderful. And I, I grudgingly admit that I think Chris is probably right that it does. It does tre- tread water uh, maybe. And, and I think, this will be interesting to see what happens with with episode six, where you know a lot of people, I think, feel that um, part six is a bit of an anticlimax. And indeed, I think that's a criticism that can be levelled at a number of Hinchcliffe stories. Um, and we'll discuss that in episode six because I'm, you know, I hold my hands up to that, and yet I also don't care. <laughs> and yet I would be less forgiving in. I think 
stories that are less robust, well told, and 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 you know, expending their energies else elsewhere. Um, and I wonder if that's hypocritical of me, or may look, or it's just all a matter of taste. But I do think that you can objectively say that production wise and in terms of performance and realization and effects and you know the, the very practical things the lighting the set design all of those things you know Philip Hinchcliffe's stuff is is particularly strong it particularly um, excels in in all areas of production it, uh, I think more consistently than than uh, any other era um, but that might just be because it's to my taste. But uh, anyway, my taste is very much for, for vegetables. I, <laughs> yes, I'm, my taste is very much for uh, the, uh, the, the, the brassica and the root uh, that makes up uh, the, uh, the, 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 the villainous threat of this particular Doctor Who story. So um, let's have uh, let's let's have another absolutely um, a, a vegetarian course of Doctor Who next week. But as I say, some people uh, say it it, uh, it 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 means that it's it leaves them slightly unsatisfied. Not that it's vegetarian, but that vegetables just all get flambéed by the RAF. But let's see how we find it. But for now, uh, I'm going to uh, make sure the doors of this cottage are locked and uh, I'm going to raid the drinks cabinet uh, in order to make any weapons I might need because now I know how to. <laughs> so I'll raise a Molotov cocktail to all of you at home and we'll see you on the next edition of Happy Times and Places. Goodbye. thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Chris Chapman, who can be found on Twitter at ChrisChapman81. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, not that one, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, John Arnold, Kevin Ashelford, James Bell, David Bickley, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt, Robin Bland, Alex Kafajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Elledge, Sam Esteram, Gary Gillett, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green, Fraser Gregory, Paul Gregory, Dave Hoskin, Richie Howarth, Tim Jolly, Andrew Jordan, Ashley Knight, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, David Matthewman, Jason Mayo, John McClay, and Ross McPhillips. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to join that list of names, you can become a patron and uh, get mentioned at the end of an episode. Uh, there are various tiers. The higher tier on, the more you will be mentioned. Uh, but uh, that's pretty much it in terms of the hierarchy. There are a couple of extra things for the higher tiers, but most stuff is available at entry point, which is £3 a month for which you get three releases a week generally, and you're also six months in advance with these Happy Times and Places releases, uh, and about a month ahead 
with the uh, too much informations and the indefinable magics and you also get a bonus podcast called far too much information which nobody else gets which is the sort of extra trivial stuff but you know it's a full length uh, entry into each doctor who story in order so uh, patrons are just about to get uh, some more bits about the edge of destruction which are I wasn't sure it was possible to find any bits. But anyway, I've, I've done all right. Um, and so, yes, become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Three pounds a month, but you get 10% off that if you sign up for a year. Any tier, 10% off if you, uh, if you go all in all at once and that commits you to a year. If you can't commit to a monthly thing, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and just uh, throw some pennies into my hat if ever I sound hungry. Uh, what costs you nothing if uh, you know times are tough and I well n- not if I know they are times are tough things are going up things are skyrocketing so look I'm happy just to be providing you with a diversion from the daily grind to be perfectly honest and it's nice to feel part of a, a sort of Doctor Who community and to be and to be doing something that you know enables me to talk to everybody out there whether it's via Twitter I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydock these podcasts have their own stream at Haydock Podcasts but I get feedback from the patrons as well and we have little chats and and it's nice to feel part of a of a wider whole as uh, the world gets ever more fractured and fractious. Um, so what costs you nothing um, if you if you uh, can't uh, uh, do, the, do the financial thing, which I totally understand. I'm just grateful to you for listening. But you could go to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts and indeed go onto Twitter and all the other places and say nice things about these. Direct people to them. But a word of mouth helps. But what also helps is five-star reviews and a couple of lines saying what you like about these. They, that really helps. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm still sort of recovering from COVID. I've, uh, yeah, um, so I'm, I'm not at my best, but I'm still popping these out. And I have to say, I got very enthused uh, watching The Seeds of Doom. So do tune in uh, to the next episode because um, I found I found episode six. Well, I'm not going to give anything away, but it was, uh, you know, I, I started thinking about all the people that have contributed to the legend of Doctor Who. And, uh, you know, I find it very moving that we know their names and we invoke their names long after a great number of them are no longer with us um in fact thinking about the seeds of doom michael mcstye is still around john gleason is still around uh and david masterman the guard leader is still around and tom baker of course so but i think of the credited cast that's it Wow. Four actors out of the whole lot. Uh, Very sobering. Um, So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm very much uh, enjoyed uh, the seeds of the seeds of doom. And uh, it's it's I I hope people who've who've listened to this who like it, uh, you know, have had their love reinforced. I certainly have had that by. uh, by by Chris's contribution, it's always great hearing from somebody else going, "Oh yeah, I love that they love that as well," um, and just getting you talking about it and thinking about it 
um, and hopefully communicating that to you. But actually what I'm doing unusually for this one is I normally go into my recording booth to record the credits and the uh, this nonsense, um, just because it sounds slightly better. But uh, time is not on my side and I need to put this out for patrons about an hour and 43 minutes ago. So instead I've not moved my seat and have recorded the credits uh, and this bit where I record the commentary. Will anyone, is there, is, so are these slightly different quality than, than, than if I'd done them in the sound booth or have I been unplugging and resetting up in a different location or for a minor change in sound quality that nobody notices? Who knows? Because nobody's listening now. I know some of you are listening now and you're welcome. The, uh, the lovely people who hang around right to the end. But is, uh, does this sound different uh, from the usual post-credits stuff. Is there an echo? Is there a buzz? I can hear my projector, but I don't know if that buzz from the projector is here. Is the fact that I'm not in a soundproofed studio is a bit of an optimistic word. It's my DVD shelves inverted and lined with sponge. But I've done Radio 4 plays from there, and as I say, I normally do the credits and those bits in there with headphones on, right you know, right up close to the mic and blah blah blah, blah. And instead I'm doing this uh, on my sofa with the, the jerry-rigged stuff that I just I commentate through. So there we go. There's an interesting thing for audio historians to pick over should that unlikely event ever happen. There's part of me that wants it to, though. There's part of me that really does. But most of me knows that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to disallow the fact that lurking within me somewhere is some, some vain hope for posterity. <laughs> uh, if you want posterity, Toby, make something as good as the seeds of doom not something that just talks about it noted but then i'd have to spend less time doing this and more time writing and making brilliant things uh so maybe the fact that i secretly know that that might be beyond my abilities which is why which is why i do this instead so i, I hope you blooming like it um anyway off i go ah oh, i mean yeah but i i have to, i'm recording this having done episodes five and six uh and i really yeah I, I'm, I look forward to hearing episode six, but I hope you've liked episode five. Um, okay. Um, Molotov cocktail time. <laughs>